Kings chapter 12. Romans 1 through 11 have been teaching doctrine. Basic and in-depth doctrine about our salvation. And some people, when they hear doctrine, they think, oh, I don't want that. Doctrine basically means teaching. And and if you want to look at it in an analogy has been made, the doctrine is the foundation of the building. And Paul, in his letters, you will find a pattern. He deals with the doctrine, and then he goes in and makes the the practical application. So Romans 1 through 11, he's been teaching the doctrine of salvation and, and all that is involved in that. And now beginning in Romans chapter 12, he brings the personal application. So he's laid the foundation and now he's, he's building the house, if you please, using that analogy. And, and it seems like we either, we struggle with balance in our life. And some love to really emphasize the doctrine, but they ignore the practical. So they have a wonderful foundation, but they've never built anything on it. And others, oh, let's just get down to the practical. I just want the practical. And, and they build this building, but it, it doesn't have anything to stand on, and the, the storms of life come, and we sang about every promise of God's Word. That's doctrine. You have to know the teachings of God. You can't stand on the promises of God's Word if you don't know them. So, as you look at Romans, as we said, the first 11 chapters are building the foundation, the doctrine of mankind, sin, salvation, and God's working through this. Romans chapter 12 goes into the practical. Romans chapter 12 is a key chapter in all of the Bible. I, I, think, I think every believer ought to memorize Romans chapter 12. And uh, one of the great things that you can ever do with your kids is teach them to memorize Scripture. That will, that will equip them more than anything else you do. And um, Romans chapter 12 is one of those chapters that you should work with them to memorize. Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are good chapters for them to memorize. Psalm 121, the book of James, the book of 1 Peter. And you say, oh, come on. Kids can memorize. If we don't challenge them, they won't, okay? And um, we need to equip them. But Romans chapter 12 is one of those chapters. It's it's the um, Alps of, of the Bible, I would say. Um, Romans 8 is a mountain peak, and if you've ever been to mountains where there's just one mountain peak after another in, 
in depth. Romans 8, and then right behind it comes Romans 12. And, and they are key, key chapters, not minimizing any others. But he begins in verse 1 by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So he's making reference to all that he said before in Romans. So in essence he's saying, because of what we've just studied of the mercies of God, of God's love for us that ended with Him saying, who has known the mind of God or who is His counselor? And He's giving this exaltation for it is of you and through you and for you be all things. All glory belongs to you. And he's, He's just overwhelmed by the mercy of God that would save us who have no righteousness in us at all. And so, in, in light of that, he's saying, since God has been so merciful to us, this is now what I'm asking you to do because of that. It's, it's interesting. The heathen are prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy. Biblical faith teaches that divine mercy that has been freely given to us ought to spontaneously create in us a desire to sacrifice. See, everything Satan does, he gets it backwards. We are recipients of mercy, and so it ought to cause us to to be willing to sacrifice for him, be willing to love Him, be willing to serve Him. So, in Romans 12, through the rest of the book, he is, he is basically saying, how shall a saved person walk? What's it going to look like in his daily life? And he begins by saying that a saved person is going to be transformed. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's not normal for us to present ourselves to God. He's asking us to be transformed. And he goes on and says, And do not be conformed to this world, That's what we always were before we came to Christ. We were conformed to this world, the philosophies of the world, the desires of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how should a saved person walk? He should be transformed since we are recipients of God's grace, it should transform our lives. Receiving God's grace brings changes in our lives. And and the transformed life is, is this. Before we came to Christ, it was all about me for every one of us. It was, it was all about me. A transformed life 
since we are recipients of God's grace and mercy, now it's not about me. And we're going to go in and look at Romans 12 and mention three areas, break down three areas that shows a transformed life is not about me. I mean, He's changing us. Before Christ, me, me, me. After Christ, we're justified and He's in the sanctification process that He's talked about. And He's changing us and, and He's working to make us to the image of God so that our life is transformed and it's not about me. So what is it about? First of all, it is about God and His program. Verses 1 and 2 that we've already mentioned and read this morning. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. He, he's saying, now you are submitting yourself to God. It is, it is not about our program. Um, the whole aim of Satan's plan is to get self-interest as the chief end of man. And even in, in Christian circles, it's easy for us to let self-interest rule in our lives. What Paul is saying here, and again, he's writing to believers and he's saying, I want you to present your bodies, meaning your mind, your will, your emotion, your whole being, I want you to present it to God, understanding He is the grand weaver. The last verse of, of chapter 11, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Meaning, I'm in existence. This is evidence. This is God's work. It's of God. It's through God. It's for God. It's not about me. It is for God. And to, and to come to realize that. It's submitting to God's plan and saying, God, I am here. For all that you've done for me, rescuing me from my condemnation in the lake of fire and... and giving me a home in heaven, adopting me into your family, all the things that we've seen, Romans 8, He's given us the Holy Spirit to be our intercessor. God, I gladly give myself to You, whatever it is that You want to do in my life. <clears throat> you know, the, the more I study Scripture, the more I come to see, over and over again, they're saying the same things over and over again. Paul, in his letters, he says the same thing over and over again because we need to hear the same thing. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, says, Since we have been redeemed, we should no longer live in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your body to the will of God. In, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, Paul said again, well, turn there. 
All right, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15. I wanted to get us to get verse 14 to get the context of it. For the love of Christ compels us, okay? The love of Christ compels us. That's, That's everything we studied in Romans 1 through 11. That's the love of God, the mercy of God. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Notice that. If we have been recipients of God's grace... We should no longer live our lives for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and rose again. It is easy to get in Christianity where God is here for me. No, that's backwards. That's a man-centered Christianity. That, you, that's a, a contradiction of terms. Man-centered Christianity. You can't have that. It has to be God-centered. It may be a man-centered religion, but it's not Christianity. So he's saying, if you are a recipient of God's mercy and God's grace, then as a result of that, don't keep living in the flesh like the old man did, but now present your bodies to God Present your all to God and no longer live in the flesh to fulfill the lusts of it, but submit yourself to God as servants of God. See, this is not a a one-time act. It's a continual act. Paul said, I die daily. I'm dying to the old man and I am yielding myself to God. And when we get the proper vision of God, um, I believe it was C.T. Studd said, the great missionary that, that went to the islands of cannibals said, when you have a proper vision of God, a proper view of God, the word sacrifice disappears from your vocabulary. You don't consider it a sacrifice. And, and Paul is saying here, yeah, you are you are giving up your old ways, sacrificing that if you please, but you are yielding to him because of all that he's done and who he is, and you continue yielding to him. The the language that is used here, it's a continual process. So a transformed life is not about me. It's about God and his program. Then, in verses 3 through 8 that we read earlier, he's showing us that a transformed life is about serving. It's about building up the body. The body of Christ. It's about building up the church. Everything we have, including our faith, our personality, our gifts, our experiences, everything is a gift of God. 
So God says, I have given this to you for a purpose, and I want it to be used to this end. So he, Paul now goes in and he gives instructions. A transformed life is about serving. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God hath dealt to each one a measure of faith. So, we have nothing that we can glory in ourselves. Everything that you have is a gift of God. I don't mean everything you have possession-wise. I mean every, every faculty of yours, your hearing, your sight, your speech, your gifts that God has given you, everything that you have, you did not, you did not create it. God did. So he's saying, we have no room for bragging. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but realize God has dealt to every one of us the measure of faith. We mentioned last week, I believe it was, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, I was smart enough to know Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world and trust Him. No. That you were even able to think that was a gift of God. No man seeks after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. But it's easy for us to get... And so Paul is saying, no. Now remember... God has designed you. He's created you. But don't get thinking you're better than anyone else. Or don't get thinking, wow, God really really smiled on me when He saw I was coming along. Everything we have is from God. And He goes on and says, He immediately takes it in. To, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We are designed to be a part of a much bigger purpose than ourselves. God designed us to be a part of His eternal working, and not only eternal, but He designed us to be a part of His working right now. He designed you and me to be a part of this body. And everyone has different um, responsibilities. Everyone has different giftings. Everyone has different experiences. But we're supposed to work like a body is the term that he uses. And to minister one to another. A transformed life is not one that is thinking about itself, but is humbly acknowledging God has equipped me and He designed me to function in the body using how He has gifted me to an interdependent relationships in the church body. A humble person realizes, I am, I am equipped 
to serve others, not by my own choosing, oh, I'll choose to serve this person. No, in the body. You think about it. Your body today, your mind says, uh, get out of bed. There's parts of your body that are saying, I don't want to get out of bed. But it all comes under the head, doesn't it? The head of the body, a local church, is Jesus Christ. And there are times, as members of the body, there are times that we may say, I don't feel like doing that, but can you imagine if your body acted that way? So your thumb this morning says, you had me out shoveling yesterday, and there's a little arthritis here. I'm not showing up today. And I'm not talking about just showing up in services. I'm talking about showing up and ministering to one another. Most of us would literally be basket cases if our bodies function the way we function as American Christians in the church. And Paul's saying a transformed life is going to be seen that you are willing to serve and it begins in your own body, in your own location. Each part of the body is essential for the proper functioning of the whole. There, there are no parts of the body that, that you can just part with. We understand that, and he goes in, and I'm not going to go into the, the giftings here, but God has gifted us, not so we can walk around saying, this is, this is my gift. Let's get all the... Let's get all the exhorters over here and we'll have an exhortation party because we all agree that that's what needs to be done. No. What if your body functioned that way? Thumbs, we're going to meet over here. Well, there's only one nose. I was going to say nose. But you see what it's like when you can't smell, right? What if the nose said, I'm not showing up for the rest of your life? But the reality is, He blessed us to bless others. The reason you are blessed is all because of God's doing, not because He thinks we're worthy of it or anything. He blesses us to be a vessel to bless others in the body. We are called to relationships is what He's saying. And the relationships in the church family. Now, when you think of relationships, you understand relationships are messy, aren't they? I don't, I don't care how good your marriage is, in every, and I use marriage as a, a close relationship, in every marriage there are misunderstandings, There are things said that are taken the wrong way or taken the right way and they hurt and and there are issues. Don't sit there acting like it's not true, all right? I've had my smartphone seeking in through your smart television and I've been seeing you. No, I just know myself, okay? 
When you have relationships, it's messy. And so we say, I don't want to have relationships. That's the old life. A transformed life says, God has been at work in my life, and I need others, and others need me. And you might be thinking, I don't have anything that anybody needs from me. Yes, you do. Otherwise, we can rip Romans 12 out of the Bible and say it doesn't apply. And He has called us to relationships. This is what church is about, Romans 12. It's not about showing up and hearing a message and going your way. It's about functioning. And I believe that God is trying to get the church globally and in America to learn to function more. And, and one of the purposes of many of all that's going on in the world today is that He's trying to get us to realize we can't be islands. There are no Lone Ranger Christians by God's design. There are Lone Ranger Christians, but that isn't what God designed. If we are not actively being ministered unto by other believers and ministering to other believers in a local church, if we are not doing that, there's no way we're right with God. A transformed life is one that is involved ministering to one another and verses 3 through 8, we don't have the time to go into detail with it, but verses 3 through 8 deal with that, that He designed us as interdependent relationships. And, and I understand. I mean, it, it's a family. And you know what? You don't choose your family, do you? And, and there are people in the church body that you just naturally get along with a little better. And there are some in the church body that you just naturally don't get along with, right? So you chop off that arm that you don't get along with, throw it in the ditch... You sit on one side and make sure they sit on the other and you never have to talk to them. And we go on and act like it's church. That's not church. God's called us to love the unlovely. And you know what? You may think someone's unlovely and there, I'll guarantee you there's somebody else that thinks you're unlovely. We're all unlovely. But if we depend on our own power... The old man, you won't, you won't go into this area. But a transformed person says, it's not about me, it's now about serving. It's about being used of God. We're called to relationships. And then that's where Paul goes into the third area, verses 9 through 21. It's not about me, it's about learning genuine love. The whole thrust of the Bible is to show us how we can and should love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love one another as we love God. And so, beginning then in verse 9, Paul goes in and says, okay, you're called to these relationships. Now make sure you love in a genuine manner. 
Love without hypocrisy. And it's interesting here, isn't it? In, in Romans 12 here, he talks about being a body, functioning as a body. And then what does he go into? Love. Why? You can't have relationships the way God wants unless you learn genuine love. In 1 Corinthians 12, he goes into an extensive passage about a body functioning. Can the, can the hand say to the eye, I don't need you? And he goes through all that. And, and he says, no, you need one another. You need to minister to one another. And what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? Not a hard question. 1 Corinthians 13, right? And what is 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter. So he's saying, 1 Corinthians 12, all this about, oh man, relationships. And then he says, if you don't have love, you amount to nothing. Nothing. You may have all the right doctrine, but if you don't have love, you amount to nothing. If you cut people out of your life, you amount to nothing. I mean, this is strong language that he's using here. So, see, I said, Paul, it's like he says the same thing over and over again. Romans, he said it. 1 Corinthians, he says it. Colossians, he says it. All throughout. Ephesians, he says I'm thinking of the love things, you know. Ephesians, he says it. And so here, let love be without hypocrisy. And he clearly dismisses the idea that love means, oh, saying, oh, that's so wonderful, that's so good, I approve you. That isn't love. The first thing he says is, abhor that which is evil. You can't love if you don't hate. Because you love crops, you hate weeds. And so he's going in, and I'm not going to go into all the details of the instructions of love that he gives here. This morning, we're kind of like in a drone flying over this forest. Romans chapter 12 has some wonderful, wonderful promises and commands in it. We're, we're going to try this morning to help you see that Romans 12 is a transformed life. It's not about me. It's about submitting to God's program. It's submitting to God's program, serving in the body, serving other people. And it's about learning genuine love. And, and genuine love involves action. And you read through that. He says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not lagging or slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He's given specific instruction, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. These are all action things. But it starts with an act of our will. I am committed to love. And so in verses 9 through 13, he talks about loving fellow believers. To love fellow believers. Um, and And he gives instructions there. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Being willing to share 
invite people into your home. And, and this was, in the time he's writing this, this was inviting complete strangers into your home that were traveling through because of persecution. And you found out they're believers. And, and you said, if you're a believer, I'm a believer. You need a place to stay. Come on into our home. Well, I didn't even know them. They could have been taking me. They could have been. But Paul said, this is what we do as believers. We reflect the care of God. We show mercy. We have received freely. We have received freely. We give. And, and so he gives that in regard to fellow believers. And then, then he says, verse 14, he's dealing with loving those that are against you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verses 15 and 16 can be applied to believers. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but associate yourself with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. So he's talking about believers. And, and again, I'm not going into the details of that. But then the rest of the chapter, he's back with not only love fellow believers, but then he takes it way up a notch. And he says, love those that persecute you. Someone does evil to you, don't do evil back to them. As much as you possibly can, live peaceably with all men. And he said, remember... God is the one that will bring vengeance. You don't need to worry about that. That's God's responsibility. There's a definite line drawn between my responsibility and God's responsibility. Revenge, vengeance, bitterness, anger, all of those things are not our responsibility. We're to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave us. If there is something that needs to be taken care of, you can trust God. He'll take care of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That's a promise that He gives. And so He says, I want you to bless those that curse you. And He wraps it up by saying, Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Don't fight fire with fire. Overcome evil with good. That's hard. It's impossible unless you get it from God. What happened? Going back to marriages. We end up fighting fire with fire. They're mean to us, so we're mean to them. And, and yeah, but you don't know how that hurt and... and You can't love without God. And that dependence has to come from God of of saying, God, I need Your power. I am submitting to Your will now. I want to show (coughs) that obeying You is better than anything else, that You are the best Master. I'm no longer a slave to sin, Romans 6. I'm a slave to You, God. And I want people to be able to see that being a servant of yours is the best life there is. And live in such a manner that they say, wow, 
How did you respond that way? And a transformed life is this. It's not about me. It's about God's plan and God's purpose and His program. It's saying, I am a servant of yours and you've put me here and and I'm going to actively be involved in other people's lives. And it begins in the local assembly. We've gotten the idea that church is hearing a message and going, that's not even the beginning of church. It's ministering. It's encouraging and, and serving and helping and teaching one another. And when you do that, it's going to require love because you will be tested. There will be some things that will come up. And that's why he said to us that we need to let love rule in our hearts. That we do what is best. You know, it's... It's coming to realize that we need each other. And one of the problems we've had, it's a blessing, but it's a curse. We don't need anybody else. We've got everything we need in our own little little house, little farm, little acreage. We've got everything. We don't need anybody else. And God's starting to pull the things out from under us. And we better make sure we have a transformed life. Not just a head knowledge that says, oh yeah, God saved me and I'm going to heaven. Show that He saved you. That it's not about you. You know what? When we're, when we're submitted to God's program, we won't be easily offended. Because it's not about us. We're, we're committed to serving. And when our serving isn't appreciated, that's okay. God will take care of it. This is what He wanted me to do, so I was willing to do it. And learning the genuine love. So, you know, it's those three things. Submitting to God's plan. Serving in building up the body. And God, teach me to love. Genuine love. That's a transformed life. You get into Romans 12. You'll talk about it tonight in your care groups. You'll get into more of the nitty-gritty, the details of it. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What God desperately wants in us is transformed lives. Not lives that, that just know the doctrine but haven't changed, but know the doctrine and are transformed. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would truly accomplish Your purposes in this study of Romans 12 that we've been in this week. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be this week, that that our lives would be transformed. That we would continually die to self and yield to You as a living sacrifice to know that Your ways are best. And Lord, I, I pray that we really would actively pursue who You want us to minister to. Rather, I should say, how You want us to minister to. Lord, it, it, everyone You desire us to minister. 
in the body and, and Lord, specifically how. And then that we would learn to love as you love us. Lord, you said that a characteristic of those that follow you would be our genuine love. Lord, may that be true in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's